right. Oh, we're recording. Sorry. <laughs> we haven't recorded anything in two months. It's been longer than that. Yeah, it's been a good long minute since we recorded. Yeah. <laughs> we all had an incredibly large amount of stuff going on. Yes. I guess my stuff's good. It's just grinding good. Awesome. It's just been coming back from my foot surgery. Oh. My work is... The work that I do for money is incredibly physically demanding. You're just like, oh, I'm going to pick up this drywall four by eight sheet and just carry it around for 20 minutes and then a different one for another four hours and four hours and four hours. And I, uh, I, you know, I got that toe surgery and I didn't work for three months. Okay. Not only did I not work for four months, I was in a cast and so I could do like short five, ten minute slow walks, you know, and then I still couldn't do a lot of the lifting. So I had to rebuild all of that muscle mass. Wow. Is it frustrating? I mean, no, it's not frustrating now because I've got it all back now, but I was surprised. I know how much you lose for not exercising, but I guess I didn't know how much I had to lose. And I know part of that's also getting older. I know getting older means I heal slower. Mm -hmm. Right. My starting point was just so low that going and doing the work, it put me out. And so I've just been working progressively more ever since I've been able to work. So I've been working four to five days a week, which is a lot for me. And I've been working, you know, from when I get up to when I go to bed, 10, 11 hour days, getting home at 10 o'clock at night, working after dark, just working, working and working. So that's where I've been mostly. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I have something I will share. Um, I started in OnlyFans. It's uh, with a different pseudonym or whatever. I've been having a, a lot of fun with that. That's what's been going on with my life. Well, that's super fun. What made you decide to do that? Um, well, I had a job that I didn't like and I quit it. And I had a couple of people reach out and, and um, say, I've suggested this before, but maybe you should think more seriously about doing OnlyFans. And I thought about it uh, several times in my past and I decided to just, just go for it. I'm tired of, uh, I guess I'm tired of the, the rat race, I guess. And not that I'm making like any significant money with it at all at this point. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's something that I want to pursue to help bring in some income and until I'm done with school. The grind is not the most fun part of living. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> Though my commute is only downstairs now. It's so nice. I'm <clears throat> working for two different clients doing it now. And it's, it's, uh, it's a lot, but it's, I really, really enjoy what I do. That's good. And then on top of that, my mental health has not been great for a series of different reasons that I don't know if we're going to go into tonight or not, but <laughs> uh, it's been rough. What was our topic? Would you, do we have a topic tonight? Or are we just... Well, the only topic that I had thought of is that we had a person write us a like two page question about cancel culture, which is a thing that we've talked about extensively enough that I feel like we have a useful response to it. Yeah, let's do that. I'm going to go ahead and start with pseudonyms. When you folks write in, please tell us how you want to be referred to pronouns, name, even if that's that you don't want to be referred to at all and you want us to pretend we thought up the idea right. and if you would like to be in the episode and you think that would be valuable let us know that too not that we're always going to do that of course that's at our discretion but it really is helpful if you include all that so we know what our options are so the listener says i have been listening to your podcast and also to the podcast fucking canceled. And I have a question for you about cancel culture generally. Can behavior call-outs in communities be done in a way that avoids common problems? I've been a community organizer in a sex-positive scene for the last seven years or so. Our events range from social ones like craft nights. Our event our, our events range 
from social ones like craft nights to sex possible parties and a play space burning man camp our scene is not open to the public but it is around 200 people our events evolved organically so we didn't have guidelines to begin with and we just added them as we ran into pain points over time consent has always been a central value in this community as a central organizer i've often been the one people go to when they view another person as problematic ranging from bad breakups to consent violations to social conflicts i've definitely carried a bit of a it's my responsibility to fix this for you chip on my shoulder so i've stepped in to mediate this stuff a lot it has gone poorly every time Group discussions have been had, apologies given, behavior changes requested and agreed to, and still the conflict never feels resolved and inevitably results in some faction breaking off from the community with a lot of bad feelings and judgment. Me and other mediators have burned out. Those getting apologies have largely not felt like it has fixed much for them. Or we've had people just mm. ghost on our social group. Or there's been a, no, you're the bad guy, back and forth that never resolves. There was even a suicide attempt by someone accused of harm. So I've been considering this, and here are a few of the lessons I feel like I've learned. This is very much a work in progress, and I would love to hear your thoughts. One, a public or semi-public stage seems not to be great for doing genuine self-work. When I've seen people called out, generally it has not resulted in what I perceive to be genuine change on their part. It has resulted in added trauma for survivors, accused, and mediators. And I see real change as something that is inwardly motivated. That it is often private and a delicate spiritual process. That public shaming is mostly a way for people to punish and control each other. Two, organizers need boundaries around doing mediation. The times I've stepped in to do mediation have always resulted in big negative impacts on my own mental health and my relationships. I wanted to support people in growth, but it resulted in me refereeing turf wars between different sides, trying to excommunicate each other. I think at this point, my best option is just to say, sorry, I'm not able to mediate, but I'll point you to resources if you like. Three, clarifying safe spaces versus brave spaces and which type of community this is. For a long time, we used the term safe space to mean a space where consent is taught, normalized, and expected. This has unfortunate side effects. My understanding has evolved since then. I view safe spaces as necessary and good, and also as a very tight container. The one where if anyone is uncomfortable with anyone else, or one or both of them needs to be removed. Brave spaces, on the other hand, have more of an expectation that those present are comfortable in their boundaries and can own their own no. And I see it as necessary for communities to know which of these they are and own that distinction. I'm glad to discuss this more, but hopefully this is enough to frame a discussion. I'd love to talk to you more on these topics. There's a big gulf in my experience between ideal executions of social justice actions and how it actually happens when the situation is messy and real. I don't even see our broader movement having a solid definition of what ideal form looks like. This is a whole can of worms. Thank you so much for your work. Such a great question. Mm-hmm. Or multiple questions. It's such, it's, right. yeah, yeah. I've never heard of a brave space as opposed to a safe space. And I kind of like that concept. Did the the listener say that that was a term that they coined, brave space? Well, I just Googled it and it gave me a definition of the creation of a challenging environment that encourages equal participation across representative identities. I'm pretty sure it's not because there's something online called the Brave Space Alliance. As soon as I Googled Brave Space, I think a space can be whatever, as long as it's consensual and well laid out kind of space you would like it to be. So if you want to make your space a brave space, but I, I am, I do feel like a brave space does not, cannot 
possibly accommodate needs for people that have trauma. I would agree with that. Based on the little bit that we were discussing here on what it is. I haven't researched it in depth, so I don't want to talk a bunch about that, but that's just my first blush feel. It goes on to say that bravery is necessary instead of safety because learning necessarily involves not merely risk, but the pain of giving up a former condition in favor of seeing of a new way of seeing things. I don't know how I feel about that. I believe in that on a personal level, that personally, yes, you have to like get out of your comfort zone. But I don't know that I think that that's I, I don't know that I like that in a community space. Because like Michael said, it doesn't feel like that would be conducive for people who suffered traumas. We don't have an expertise in this, so I don't think we're going to get deep into this because okay, yeah, that's everything I idea. see is just a different thing than the other thing. Like the thing I just clicked through was how to create a, a brave space for a dialogue. And like that makes a lot of sense to me. Like when I taught ethical argumentation, I would say, OK, for the context of this conversation, we have to create these. We have to allow people to say what they're thinking, because okay. if they feel like when they say what they're thinking, they're going to get immediately attacked. We won't be able to change their opinions because they won't bring them up. And I think I've quoted this one before, but for one example, we were talking about language use around African-American vernacular English in my ethics class that I was teaching at the time. And one of the students was like, well, I just don't understand why people choose to speak in that way when they know that it disadvantages them. Mm. And I don't feel like that person would have been able to ha- like say that if you hadn't created this space for that discourse where I made it clear that you're not going to be punished no matter what wild stuff you say. Like effectively, people should abandon their entire cultural identity and background and learn my way of speaking because it it's easier for them. And then later in that discussion, my note was, well, why do you think they need to do that? You clearly understand what they're saying. And they said, well, it's, but it's not completely correct or something. And then they said something later in the dialogue, I forget what it was, but they had a little bit of a Southern accent and they, so they did like a double negative or something. And I said, oh, well, you used a double negative there. He's like, yeah, but you knew what I meant. And I was like, yeah, I did. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, and that's exactly what they did. They went, oh. Yeah. Oh. Cool. And they had this like clear face breakthrough moment and that no longer was a point of contention for them. Oh, that's cool. Where they had always been like, why are people speaking that way? And so they realized that everybody has this. It's just some groups are persecuted for it because of structural racism. Right. And some people are not persecuted for it. Right. And I don't think we would have gotten there if it wasn't in a space where I had set the rules where I was like, you can say basically anything in this space because we're, we're here to discuss the, the real deep elements of the ethical conundrum that we are. Are dealing with so i think that uh, like for temporary spaces that's fine but that isn't a thing i threw up all the time yeah but again i i haven't read on this so i don't want to speak to something that may have really well thought out structures that i haven't said so i don't want to talk for or against that i do think it's important that whatever you're going to do whether what you're doing is ideal or not be stated clearly so i'm for that for sure the community is going to say that it's going to create and you know i've always used since i've been a community organizer the term safer space for the spaces that i work on because again i do think the term safe space sets an unfair expectation that it's going to be perfect and there's no danger there and that's just there's no such thing i like that i think that that's uh, much more clear and i i like the expectations that set with saying sacred space instead of safe space. I just perused an article from NC State about brave space 
from what I am understanding, the differences between a safe space and a brave space, a safe space is we're going to take care of each other and make sure that everyone's needs are met. Whereas a brave space is owning your own intentions and impacts and respect and challenge by choice and no attacks. And so it's like taking care of your own shit as opposed to everybody taking care of everybody's shit. Does that make sense? Like that's the difference that I'm seeing in it. So I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like it's... I feel like it's a little ableist. Mm. Yeah, I do. I think it's ableist and I think it's against people with trauma. Yeah. So I think for sure people with neurodivergence are going to suffer in that kind of space. And I mean, I just remember when I was young, there were these quotes like, imagine being so weak that you can be hurt by words kind of quotes. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, like warrior mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got older and I was like, everybody's hurt by words. (laughs) What? Yeah. You're like, what is happening with this right now? And of course, again, also here I am at the time when I was really into that, identifying as a cis, het, white, Christian-ish adjacent, mm-hmm. young, upper middle yeah, class, heavily yeah. educated, <laughs> all the privileges, right? Like I had a couple of neurodivergency issues, but with the, the, the exception of that, mm-hmm. and that's what I was all passing for, pretty much just sailing high and going, yeah, owning your own shit's great because I'm not systematically disadvantaged. So owning my own shit is not constantly horrifyingly difficult for me it's it's not as expensive to own your shit as it is for some people to own theirs <laughs> yeah yeah culturally socially yeah monetarily i also just am not constantly under attack i'm not under attack everywhere yeah, i right. go including in this social space that you've created because most of the time i'm just not having to worry about that kind of stuff and yeah, I mean, I feel like every space, I mean, we're very community oriented on the show, obviously. So if I say I feel like every space should be a safer space, I don't think that's like a startling statement from our perspective. No, yeah. I feel like when you say I want to make this a a brave space, I don't want to use the term because I know someone's made the term. They put a lot of work into it and I haven't studied it. So I feel like when you say I want to make a kind of space where people own their own shit, what I hear is that you have tried to engage in a certain type of space, but the space you have engaged in has has been more work than the joy that you get out of it and you would like to get rid of doing the work is what i hear from that sentence and i think that's the wrong direction i think working on spaces where everybody puts in the work instead of relying on a very small group of three or four or five organizers at the top who get worn down and burnt out is the direction yeah thinking about the description that mandy Red. I my first thought was, ooh, that feels like it's a good breeding ground for possibly bullying. If the idea is voice what you want and own your own shit, then I can voice whatever I want, and you just have to deal with whatever I say. Yeah. That's that's where my mind went. It and that just doesn't seem that doesn't seem like a very in my eyes a very positive community space. Well, how would you even begin to engage predatory behaviors like newbie hunting? Yeah. So if you're in this kind of space where everyone's supposed to own their own stuff and there's a person there, you know, a male identifying person probably who goes and immediately attempts to get on a date or do a sex scene or whatever with every new young female identifying person that comes in. How do you step into that in a in this kind of space? I mean, I guess people are and they're not allowed to insult them. So I guess they're allowed to say I'm kind of concerned that but not in a public way, you're saying, because you feel like public discourse you know, puts people, dissuades people. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously, this is a thing that I have thought about a lot. And part of my problem with thinking about this is that I actually don't enjoy social spaces or groups. Mm-hmm. That's something that I've had to wrestle with. One of the big things that's happened since the last time we recorded an episode is that the group that I ran for a long time was archived. We shut it down and turned it off. Wow. And we did that because there was a lack of organizer involvement. And it was a pretty direct scenario in my mind because we were struggling with not having enough organizer involvement already. And then the pandemic hit. So we had to shut down all of the fun, exciting things that used to recruit people that we could have maybe used as a source of excitement and engagement to get people over to the organizing, helping volunteer side. Mm -hmm. And then the fatigue of the pandemic happened as well as the rearrangement of housing in the pandemic where two or three of our major leaders moved away and they all wanted to rotate out because they're putting all this effort into something that wasn't doing anything and they weren't even in the geographical area for anymore and there's no excitement to recruit new people and we just put it on life support basically on life support we were very honest and the leadership said look we don't have anybody to run this group we have basically three people who are barely hanging on by a thread and we need volunteers and you know we tried a lot of different strategies to recruit people we even tried creating these spaces where it was like we set up a moderator space and you would be able to get on in the moderator space and you didn't have to ever be there. So you were you were in the moderator space and all you had to do was when you saw a message pop up of like a, a proposed post, just pop on and, and say, yeah, I vote for that. I vote against that. I vote for that with these additions. Like I vote for that, but I want us to put a tag on it that says this is out of our values, but inside of our guidelines. So we're allowing it, but, you know, discuss in this way, or please don't attack this person They They may be new and they're looking for guidance or, you know, whatever they thought is the way we should handle that. We did it by a certain number of votes. Once we had enough votes, we passed it. So it's like you could literally be in that group and spend 30 minutes or less a week in that space. And it would have been a huge help. And the group had nearly a thousand people. So if even 10% of the group had volunteered for elements like that. The group would have run itself and the five organizers could have worked on putting new events together, putting content together, hosting events. And I mean, the organizers we had were incredibly, even at, at the end, because I, you know, I had been focused for a long time on trying to get this diverse organizer team. You know, we had was very diverse as far as, you know, the LGBTQIA identities, POC, all that kind of stuff. And we had an incredible background. Everybody that was on the leadership team when we shut down had been organizers for at least a couple of years in multiple spaces and had all these credentials and were teachers and wanted to run workshops. And we were spending all of our time just baseline keeping it running and could not get anyone to volunteer anytime and then even in the discussion where we said this is what we need everybody that got on said like we don't like the way you're handling things but also we have no ability to help you volunteer in any way shape or form and then everyone else was just silent so most of the group was silent some of the group said that and I think we had literally one person offer time, but they were a person who was already offering time and already doing as much as as far as I could tell as they could do. So they were like, if I can offer more time, I will. And I can move to like a more difficult position, but I don't think they actually had more time, you know, um, and I had to resign. I had been there far too long. I resigned before it was archived. I resigned and the people who were there after me tried a couple more things for like a month and then and then they archived it because they just didn't have the the people power after I had left to keep it running. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because in so many ways, I would say that, you know, the stuff I was interested in was super like uh, that I was interested in was very successful, even if it was difficult. And I think it speaks to a lot of these questions. But, you know, when I started working on that group, I sat down with the, the other person and I said, you know, I will do the back end and the ethics and the structure if you will do the people part. And at some point, all the people who had signed up to do the people part left 
and I could not get any more people to do the people part. And then I had to do the people part, so I didn't have time to do the ethics part. And then I was just burnt out. You can't have the people part without the people. <laughs> yeah. The problem is I have no real interest in the people part. So I didn't want to do that part. And uh, as we all know, doing the work that you're not interested in is far more expensive. Yeah. Doing an hour of navigating people and setting up events mm-hmm. is exhausting to me as compared to an hour of research or speaking or speaking at an event or doing an event or recording a podcast or something. And so, yeah, I was just very overwhelmed. And so was everybody else. We were all putting in all these hours and it was like nobody wanted to to join that. I'm going to frame it in, in, the, in the frame of this person's questions because I think that's an easier way to hit the experiences than just trying to say them out. Did you guys have anything before we go one by one through the sub points? No, no, go ahead. So one, a public or semi-public stage seems not to be a great space for doing genuine self-work. I would agree with that personally. I was going to say, from everything we've seen in our communities, it doesn't. It's not great. It doesn't work. So I would say that it's not great. And I would say what's interesting is you need a lot of privacy options to meet the needs of survivors, in my experience. Like when I talk to survivors, and I have talked to a bunch through this group and just through this work. They want control over their stories and they should have control over their stories. They're survivors Mm -hmm. and they're more important than the people in the community that just want to know. Right. Yeah. Helping them is more important than meeting your curiosity need. Right. Right. As a community member. And I think this is why involvement is so important, because the the critique that I heard was that the community members felt like they weren't sure if we were keeping them safe was the thought was they said, we don't know everything that's going on. You know, you're not telling us literally everything. So we don't know if you're just choosing to let abusers back into our community. Right. Mm-hmm. The level of disclosure is exclusively up to the survivors because the survivors are always allowed to post whatever they want about the topic to the community. That's one of our rules that we had. So if a survivor wanted to get on and tell you everything, you would know. And like one did, one wrote an open letter to the community, but nobody else did. So that was what they wanted. That's great. Some other people didn't. That's great. And so I think this is the problem with where what you need, honestly, to restart organizations. That was the thing that we really, when we finally had the final conversation about, if we were at the point where if we couldn't get more engagement, we should shut down the group. Our thought was, at this point, we're better off shutting the group down entirely and starting again from scratch than continuing this group, even though it has a thousand members, because it doesn't have a culture of everyone involved in volunteering. We were doing the moderation, but what's funny is like we had some complaints at the end that we weren't moderating enough, too much freedom of speech, so to speak. And we, the leadership grouping that had been doing this, would have blocked all the posts that were complained about, but we you know, added four or five members of the community to the moderation team. And those members of the community said, we feel like people should be able to say this, that we don't want control of speech. We want people to be able to, because you can just scroll past it, like just scroll past it. You don't like what it is. It wasn't actively harmful. They were just like, this makes me sad that it is like a thirst post. And you're like, I mean, okay, but just scroll past it if you have nothing constructive to say. And everybody should have been in the moderator chat. There's literally no reason that being part of the group shouldn't have had an addendum that you have to just be in the moderator chat. Because hmm. you don't have to respond. Right. You don't even yeah. have to read it. Right. But then if you wanted to weigh in on what we're choosing to let in and not let in, you would have the option. Yeah. And even if it was some sort of thing like to get into the group, you had to join and then you were allowed to leave the chat if you wanted to leave the chat. But if you leave the chat, then you don't get to complain about what's getting posted because you left the chat. Yeah. You can always rejoin the chat. Mm-hmm. Similarly, we used a model called Creative Interventions Toolkit, which I will link to this, which is amazing, which is a thing where like a group of people primarily femme identifying POCs wrote a book about how to do sort of what's transformative justice 
but they called it creative interventions. So they didn't want to be stuck in the transformative justice box and just sort of ways you can do community interventions. And we used that as our starter toolkit. It was available for anybody who wanted to read it, which explained how the system worked. You know, we had pods for survivors and we had pods for, you know, people accused of doing harms. And again, it's like the same 10 people made up all the pods we ever had. It was not like everyone was in one of the pods. And, you know, we were very transparent as leadership. If you asked a question, we would answer you. But there were a lot of tools in the toolkit that needed us to be discreet. So I could have said to everyone in the group, so far, every person who ever has been asked to participate in the harms process, we've either removed ourselves because the harms process was outside of our scope or has chosen to leave rather than participate in the harms process. So there are none of these people doing harms that we're aware of still floating around your community. Right. But everybody that was accused of doing harms was in a support pod for harms for at least a couple of months, where for at least two months they had three to five community members that they respected reflecting back at them the problematic behavior that they had engaged in and trying to help them work through why they might behave differently in a compassionate setting with people they trusted, who they felt comfortable having those discussions with before they left the group. And in some cases, after they left the group. Were their names public? It varied. Again, if the survivor posted a public accusation, it was public. But most of the people that we did harms processes for, the survivors came to us on the condition of anonymity. So if we had not had that as part of our system, we wouldn't have even known who almost anybody was, to be honest. But we're definitely not going to post something without survival approval that says, like, we did X, Y, and Z to this person. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we removed them, but we didn't publicly, like, accuse remove them. And I think that's another thing that I don't know if people understand is all of the legal and litigious considerations for organizers. You know, if I remove someone and say, we remove this person because they were abusive and that affects their business in any right. way for instance, and I can't prove it. Defamation of character, sued. Yeah, then we're going to get sued. So that's the other thing is it's like there's a, a level, again, the resources are limited, right? So if we've only got five or six active organizers and 10 to 15 pod folks and not enough people to have a pod for the organizers, which is really the ideal situation, I believe, then we need to minimize some psychological costs. So by removing the threat to us being sued out of existence, it makes it a lot easier for us to do the work that we need to do, right? So I don't want to get up in the morning and wonder, is trying to help this person who has suffered harms going to cause my children not to be able to go to college? Right. Like, that's an insane thing to ask in that position. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, that's why most groups have historically preferred the ban hammer approach. If anything seems problematic at all, or even just dramatic, not even problematic, just is it disrupting the flow of the group? Ban hammer, ban hammer, ban yeah. hammer, ban hammer. Mm. But again, from every survivor that I know, every survivor I know was banned from the group that they reported the harm in. Hmm. Maybe the other person got banned too, but definitely the survivor. So that's my problem with groups that are just like, we don't want trauma. We want you to own your own shit. Is that my experiences is that the reason that you think people are owning their own shit is because they're either not telling on other people because the results are horrible. A lot of the survivors that came to us would say, I still love this person. I want to still date this person. There's a problem, but I want to work with them on it. I don't think they're a threat to other people right now. And if they knew that coming to us would immediately get that person banned, 
it would have never never come to us mm-hmm. so there would have been maybe two times in the whole existence of the group that someone came to us and when they did they would have only wanted one thing which was to ban the other person and in both cases we would have had to ban both of them on any sort of semi-reasonable grounds because as we all know once people start getting abused they tend to do abusive shit too right so if you're getting punched chances are you might punch back if you're getting emotionally abused or gaslit chances are you might scream or yell in a public place or hit someone or you know any number of things can happen and so if you just ban people for that behavior you i have I have yet to see a single engagement and a harms level where both people have not committed a harm by the time it makes it to the organizational awareness level. Never seen it. So I just don't see how you're going to get anything but banning both. So yeah, so I think that a certain level of discretion is involved. But I think, again, if you had community involvement at all the different levels, first of all, you would have more trust in the people running the group if the people running the group were was a rotating group, which is what we'd always intended. We'd intended we would start the group, run it for a year, set up like an election process for a year, and then that would be it. And then, you know, people would be in based on the energy they had. They would run if they wanted, not run if they wanted. Because we, crazy people that we are, thought that people would be fighting us <laughs> for the right to run the group. We thought that people would be lining up to take the group from us. Newsflash. So our main concern in the early days was how do we get enough of our our safer space culture embedded in the legend like the the structure of the group yeah that by the time we get forced out by excited newcomers (laughs) that the group doesn't immediately become a ban hammer group that actually still takes care of everybody inside of the group and we were so wrong nobody wanted to do anything at all think the thought that I had at this point was to to do a group if you're going to do a group and you want that group to be a safer space and you want that group to take care of its own is it has to be most of the things we embedded at the basic level in the structure of the group when we opened it even if they were relatively new concepts were pretty embraced and were were pretty much lived by for the whole run of the group we just didn't embed base level participation and volunteerism and like a fair distribution of labor into the group as an expectation. We were like, here are these people dropping manna from the heaven in the form of really cool parties <laughs> and really amazing seminars and mm-hmm. really amazing discourses. And we're going to do harms work like at a professional level of dispute resolution with 10 person teams. And then we all got burnt out and nobody wanted to be us because we'd set ourselves up to do way too much and we're all going to burn out. Out, you know <laughs> so yeah i think that i think this person is right i do not think semi-public is necessarily a problem if by semi-public we mean accountability to the amount that something is already public so for example the first one we did was much more public because the person called out the person that had harmed them publicly okay mm-hmm. in that kind of context it's actually to the advantage of the person accused of doing harms that it remains semi-public because you say they're working with us they're doing a great job the Survivor says that they're happy with where things are right now. You know, it's like far better than we just ban both of them. And then you show up to parties and people are like, uh, <laughs> you know, and a lot of it is still cultural at a basic level. And a lot of it's just work that we have to do on changing the culture. The same way that we have all this work to do on getting rid of gender norms, you know, everywhere. And especially in schools and stuff, we have the same thing here where it's like you have to get rid of the expectation that in your group, harm is synonymous with bad person and is synonymous with punishment because as long as those things are the case of course anybody accused of doing harms publicly is going to dig in and deny forever Mm -hmm. because it's never going to work for them to say they did the thing you know and, and again that's where the litigious stuff overlaps like so for example if you if you have a scenario one of the very very many scenarios where 
what happened is one person experienced some form of assault or battery and the other person does not feel that they committed assault or battery and is likely never going to be willing to say, you are right, I assaulted you. Because if Mm -hmm. you record that, you can now go to the police and their concern is they're going to end up on the wrong side of a legal battle, either civil or criminal. So they are never going to feel safe saying that sentence out loud. And it's going to be very difficult to do that growth work without being able to say that sentence. Yeah, without being able to acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, since they can't acknowledge it in any direct way, It's going to be very hard for the survivor to feel acknowledged because if the person does acknowledge it, it could be a crime for them. So they're going to be scared to do that. And so that person's always going to be like, I'd rather be ostracized from every imaginable community than admit that I know that I did that. Because if I say out loud that I know that I did that, our draconic prison system could just demolish them. Yeah. And of course, we are in the defund the police, get rid of the carceral state, release the prison population for uh, non-victim crimes like selling weed or selling drugs, legalize all of the drugs, but create systems for helping people with drug addiction, create systems for people with homelessness. We refer to compassionate response that actually helps reform and heal and work as a community. So the problem when you're trying to make a community system that is against those things is that the the, the overculture is still there. And you mm-hmm. have to understand that you exist inside of the overculture and that every minute that they're not in your cultural space, they are getting hammered with these messages. And so you have to spend that an equal amount of time inside of your cultural space hammering the message the other direction. We don't punish. We don't destroy. Mm-hmm. We may have to remove you from the group because what you've done is beyond our scope. But even if we do that, we're just removing you from like the parties. We're still going to provide you a support pod. To help you understand that what just happened to you and like why it happened and how mm-hmm. you can move towards your own personal goals of doing a better job at being the kind of person other people feel safe around, which is definitely something we have done. We removed someone and we still gave them a support pod, even though they were out of the group. Mm-hmm. And we've had people leave the group, but stay in their support pod, like survivors who didn't feel like we didn't do enough to ban the people that they wanted banned left the group. And that's always a tragedy to me because every survivor that left the group, we still banned the person. We just had to go through the mm-hmm. steps. It just wasn't fast enough, basically. But they still had survivor pods. They still had support, right? They had people supporting them and helping them do the work of recovering and understanding the situation that they were in and and bring them food, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of response you need. And I definitely disagree with this this claim. So this person says, you know, I see real change is something that is inwardly motivated. That is often a private, delicate spiritual process. And that public shaming is mostly a way to punish people and control each other. I do think that's true about public shaming. But that other part is part of why this person is a community leader worried about these sorts of things already. They do their own work, self-motivated by their own interest to improve. And there's lots of studies that show that you can do that. That's basically what being a philosopher is. You read a book. The book says, do these thoughts about... What is this better? Is this better? You look inside yourself and you do that work. I mean, you know, right. So you can do it. But not everybody does that. Yeah. Right. Every single study says the vast majority of people, the vast, vast majority, like 90 plus percent of people only reevaluate their ethics when their ethics is challenged by someone that they care about emotionally. So to some extent, while the follow up work may be private, mm-hmm. the challenge has to come from some thing or person that they care about. So it is important to t- go to people and say, hey, we people who are members of your community who are important to you, we think, think that you have behaved painfully or this person that you loved thinks you have behaved in a way that was harmful. 
So like that has to be communicated, but I do think blasting it on public forum just puts people into mm-hmm. pure defense mode. Yeah. They don't want to get arrested. They don't want to get blackballed. They don't want to get accused of a crime. They don't want to get demolished by society. They don't want to get doxxed or stalked or screamed at or attacked or have their livelihood destroyed. And at that point, they're not even thinking about ethics. They're just thinking about survival. Mm-hmm. So I agree it has to be semi-private, but I don't think that means that you don't do it. I don't think that means that you just hope people improve on their own as they experience harming people. This one's difficult for me. In my experience, nothing works. (laughs) (laughs) I just, it doesn't matter if it's private or public or semi-public. There's a pride issue and people don't don't like to be wrong. I don't know. I've, I've just never seen a harms process work. For me, it really depends on what I mean by work. I have never seen a harms process that immediately at that moment fixed, quote unquote, the person doing harms. I've never seen that. So if that's what we're talking about, if I worked, that's what we mean. But I think what I want to mean by worked is I want to mean or would think of as working it is doing nothing. I definitely think is sort of the worst policy, right? So if your policy is we have a social space, people come here to play in a sex positive space sometimes or to share ideas or to be together or to date. And we as a group officially will do nothing for any reason based on the behavior of our members. It's up to people at these things to make their own choices. To be clear, I'm not saying that's what the other person was suggesting. I'm not saying that is whatever the brave situation is. I don't know what that is. I'm saying this is the far end of the spectrum. No, but that's just the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, in my mind, the worst response because it's a response that empowers harm. Because one thing is you don't know what experience other people are having in the space. So if in the space, whenever a harm is accused, a person has to go through a difficult harms process, it may well make a lot of people that enter the space think a lot longer about the choices they make in that space and a lot more thoughtfully about those choices before they even make them in a desire to avoid being in that situation. But at the same time, the traditional ban hammer response that you would would hope would have that effect as we know mostly harm survivors right so what i have gotten out of the harms processes that i've been involved in and the reason i'm still a a strong believer and again in this qualifier always only in intra group harms processes intra just means inside of i am only a strong believer in intra group harms processes because if a person is not inside of your social group for the harms process, I do not think there's any structural reason to think it could work at all. Hmm. Randomly getting on the mountain and yelling that someone has harmed you that isn't even connected to you and is outside of all forms of community isn't going to work. Hmm. And I'm not saying people shouldn't call out people who've harmed them. You can definitely do that. I just don't. I think that's for, I think I think at that point you're warning other people that that person's harmful. If you're the survivor by the way, and you ask for that or do that, totally awesome. But if you're like second, third, fourth hand person, this becomes a problem. Yeah. You know, especially because of the whole Darvo thing. The I don't know what that is. Oh, we've talked about it before, but you may have forgotten. Could it have been years ago? (laughs) (laughs) It was at least months ago. It's the response that people who are committing harms usually do. And it just stands for deny, attack, reverse victim and offender. It's Mm -hmm. like when you look at any of these public call outs, the person who was called out eventually starts saying, oh, actually, they abused me. Oh, okay. So this is the issue is that if the person has already approached them, they may already have that narrative going somewhere. Yeah. Right. So that a lot of times when somebody has done abuse, someone comes to them and says, you harmed me. And they go, no, 
you harmed me. And then they get out ahead of it and start calling the other person someone who harmed them. And it just muddies the water really badly. And so what I've gotten out of harmless processes mostly is that every harmless process I've ever been in, in the first week or two, it's hard to tell because both people are like really compliant. But after like a month and a half, one person is still really interested in being supported, really interested in working with you, really worried about the other person's well-being despite the fact that they feel harmed by them. And the other person is angry at you, trying to manipulate the process, trying to manipulate everyone in the process, screaming threats at people. Hmm. <laughs> it sort of just shakes out which person was abusive, yeah. which person was harmful. Because most of these harm processes, I have actually experienced harms by the person accused of doing harms by the time we remove them. So by the time I remove that person, I'm like, no, pretty sure this all happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe it didn't, but I have now experienced being gaslit. I have experienced being verbally abused. Mm, right. That's for me, the difference. And you're starting from this compassionate place. Even if not everyone uses the option to reform, you you gave it to them too. I didn't have to give up part of myself to help this other person. So here's a person who's accused of doing harm. Here's a person who was harm, uh, harmed. Here's me just throwing someone out without any kind of compassionate response or attempt to help them, I think hurts your soul. How do you stay compassionate and engaged in the community and ethical as a third party in that situation. Again, not as a survivor. A survivor has a survivor response. They have a trauma response. It's a totally different system. But what the listener, what the listener's saying is the opposite, right? That, that this has taken a lot out of them to do these. Right. But I think that it's taken a lot out of them because, well, they talked about how they're doing all this negotiation work themselves. I think they said they're saying they put a lot. So my point is they, they put too much on themselves alone. I agree with that. You need the support pod for the harmed person, but you also need a support pod for the person doing harms. I also definitely recommend getting rid of the names. I just call them both support pods at this point, because I think when you have a survivor pod and like a accountability pod, the person in the accountability pod just shuts right down and feels attacked all the time. So I just call them both mm. support pods. Right. I mean, I might call the one for the survivor a survivor support pod because they don't mind being called a survivor. <laughs> but the other one I just call a support pod. I don't call it anything. I'm just like, yeah. oh, your support pod is here to help reflect like the situation and help you cope with these very difficult accusations, which we know are causing an emotional stress for you and to extend the sense of community mm -hmm. to you in a way that is safe for you, for them and for the community at large. Since we have to remove you from that community while we're doing this harms process because we're worried you could harm someone in that group we don't want to isolate you because isolation stops people from growing mm, right you know we want you to be in community but we want it to be people that that opted into knowing yeah right so people who know what you're accused of feel safe around you anyway so we're not just putting you in spaces with people who didn't know they opted into this only the members of the community that are opting into this are going to participate on that and then i now actually think that there needs to be a support pod for also the negotiator in the middle hmm. so i think there should be a, a three to five person support pod for each person in the process and those people are there both to help that person but also help put together whatever resources that person needs like if the person wants to make a list of things that they want to see to feel helped or to feel seen or to feel recovered their pod helps them put that together they can put it together themselves they can ask their pod to do it they can do it as a phone call there's a person who runs as the mediator between but they shouldn't be mediating between the people they should be mediating between the pods and the pods mediate with the people mm -hmm. and then that person also because of the intense labor needs a three to five person support pod who both supports them emotionally and also can help them with homework assignments. Like if I need to do research right. on this or I need to write a thing, I should have three to five people from the community who volunteer to be there to 
to help with that. And I think if you had that, you would see that you don't burn out doing one of these processes and that the the process goes smoothly. But I'm sort of jumping ahead and I'll jump back, which is that they they have not seen an ideal execution at any level is very true. And it's thing that I've talked a lot about with some of my my friends in this space is I do think that we need like a playbook that gets adopted at some level that is a consistent standard because that's the other problem is that every space is a completely different standard if they're doing this at all. So just because your space has experts in the field executing harms processes, it doesn't mean any other space that has harms processes has that and and vice versa. You can come from a space where the harms processes were horribly executed and very self-referential and helped only the people in charge. And then you can come to a new place and they say, oh, we have harms processes. And they say, oh, fuck that. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with him. I've not seen, I've not seen a successful, but I mean, like you said, it, it just, I guess it just depends on your definition of successful of it working. When, how would you see it? I mean, you would see it by no, like the survivors are happy with the situation, with the outcome and that there's not a repeat offense. Yeah. That's a really high bar. I mean, we don't even have that for any system that I've ever heard of for helping people who commit any form of harm right i mean like the recidivism rate for actual prison is like 90 percent or something horrific right I mean, it's not that high, but it's really really high like but, but so if i mean but if that's if that's not the point of it then what what's the point to me the point is first of all to get the support to the people who are harmed immediately so the people who are harmed immediately have a community to support them and help them cocoon their wound like a cast made out of community members mm-hmm. is point number one Right. Two is to avoid false positives so that you're not banning survivors just for saying they're survivors and trying to share their stories so that people feel comfortable being survivors. And I think the problem is also, again, where we are in the culture, because I think if you had point number one and point number two consistently over a long time through multiple communities, you would see more survivors getting to a point where they were willing to share their story publicly, uh, at least inside the group. And if you saw that, I think you would see more of the people who wanted to do the work to fix those problems, basically. Because the more involved your survivor is, the more work the person doing harms does, in my experience. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But most survivors are just far too burnt out and too harmed to do that. Because that's the person, because, you know, because most people doing harms don't know they're doing harms. And the person they're harming is someone they actually think they care about. And as I discussed earlier, all the studies show that when you change, you change because someone you care about says you should change. Yeah. So... It's not the community members, it's not the pods. Maybe if you get lucky, you get like one of their best friends is in the pod and the best friend actually sees the problem and they actually yeah. do something. But I mean, I've seen I've seen processes where the person in the process started going to therapy because of the process. Because of how? Got feedback from five to six people who were in their community who knew them well that they had never had before because of the process, you know, but I can't make any of that public because if Mm -hmm. I name people and say who and say when and say which person that's about, that's medical privilege, medical information, that's accusations, that's litigiousness. But but again, like the bar is from nothing to something. Okay. So if there's some motion there for that person's journey to be less harmful, even the smallest bit, and if the survivor can get as much support as we can get to them, because, you know, in a lot of cases, we were able to get to the survivor like the day they said something was wrong. Mm -hmm. We were able to have a pod there to help them, to be there, to talk to them, to just be in community with them. That, to me alone, is a successful process. If we can then sauce out which person is the person with the harmful behavior pattern without accidentally banning survivors that's all i really need to say this is better than the other options out there and that i have seen 
that I think you can do. It's not ideal, and I hope we can get even better someday, but I think beyond that requires cultural shifts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a culture that does not value accountability at all, where having accountability makes you a pariah, how are you going to get people to be accountable? What's the why? <laughs> you know? So being like, oh, I, I wish this process would teach people to be accountable. The entire culture they swim in, the entire rest of their life, every part of their life, but this one little niche social group they're in is anti-accountability. And then we're like, accountability is great, man. Take responsibility for who you are and and we'll help you, promise. Mm-hmm. And they're like, mm, I've got a lifetime where, you know, even the, what's that, the, the movie, the Christmas movie that people watch like every year or whatever. Is that what it's called? Uh, a Christmas story? Yeah, no. Christmas story. Christmas story. Yeah, like my pe- most people watch every year of their whole life. What's one of the lines from that movie? The Alfie character says, the teacher says, like, you should come forward and tell us what you did. It's going to be, you know, worse for you to have it weigh on your conscience if you don't tell us. And he says, he just loved to say stuff like that. But we all know <laughs> it was better never <laughs> yeah. to get caught. Not to get caught, yeah. Yeah. And as long as that's true, as long as that's true at such a basic level that it's a cultural freaking touchstone for five-year-olds, mm. yeah. you're not going to see the change you want in the people doing harms. But that, for me, isn't the point. For me, the point is supporting the, the survivors. And when you just ban hammer people, there's no support system for the survivors. And again, mostly, you might also ban the people doing harms, but you'll probably also end up banning the survivors. So if the goal is to just support the survivors, then yes. I've seen it work because I, I, I feel like we've been part of those processes. So yes, if that's, if that's the goal, then yes, I've seen it work. But if the goal is to somehow prevent the person doing harms from doing other harms or to take accountability in some way, then, then I would say no. Rehabilitation doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's hard for me to say that too, because, you know, people will often say they're not thinking about something, but they're still thinking about it. So having all of that stuff levied at them, having like a month of people talking to them about it, even if at that time they don't actually change, it's still in their mind, it's a thing that's on their plate, yeah. it's a thing that's on the table in front of them in a way that it's not. And it, and the reason I think it's more in, their, in front of them with like, a, I would say, a quality creative intervention where you took the time and you gave them every opportunity and you really tried very differently than if you ban hammer them is that when you ban hammer them, they just feel like it was really unjust and you never heard their side of the story and you're all just monsters and they never have to think about it. They can just compartmentalize it right away that you're just an overreacting problematic person. And do you think that in that in this braver space that they just ban hammer? I don't know about the braver space. I don't again, I don't want to make any comments about that because I know nothing about it and I do not want to say that. But I assume they have some system for conflict revolution and the system is clearly not the community comes together and works on it because that's the whole benefit as listed of transitioning right right something i think that's uh, worth mentioning is that like well to remember i guess is that human behavior changes take time they take a lot of time like we've got those little like wrinkles in our brain those paths Mm -hmm. that they're so hard to to change and to get out of so if people are causing these harms and they don't realize they're causing them that means that they've got these patterns these pathologies that they don't realize are there and then they have to recognize them and then try and figure out how to change them, how to find better ones. And like that takes time. That's what I would say is I would say that they're not going to cop to it up front 
they're probably not even going to cop to it yeah. to you. We've talked before about how if you're trying to change like a partner, you probably will succeed, but they probably won't be your partner by the time it's over. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you're trying to change them for like a good reason, like if your partner has problematic behaviors and you want to and you want to help them, we've said you can help them or you can date them, but you probably can't do both. Right. Right. No. Yeah. You remember that? Like by the time you're done helping them. You're not going to be together. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember talking about that. Doesn't mean they're, they're not going to be a better person afterwards, which is great. But yeah. Yeah. That's sort of how I see these, where I see like we go through this process. It's like two to three to four grinding months. We butt heads. They're like, no, we're like, no. And then they end up getting removed from the group. And then they have to think, okay, this group of... 10 of my peers all agreed that I needed to be removed, that what was happening was a real problem. And they have that on their plate now somewhere. Those kind of changes, even when I know that I want to make a change, like I say to myself, here's a change I want to make. I know this behavior is a problem. I need to change it immediately. It takes me like three years. Yeah, seriously. Like my project for the last two years easily, maybe one year active, like super actively, my project has been to be religious about my bedtime because... When I'm not, I'm not as good of a parent. And that's really important to me. I want to be always able to come from a mindful place when my children are exploding and melting down. And I can only do that when I'm fully rested. And I'm like halfway there after two years. So even if you get the message through to that person, unless you're just keeping up with them for two, three, four, five years, it's really hard for me to say that they didn't get the message. I don't know. You know, you would need to practice something like this on a large scale for a long time so that you could have longitudinal studies if you wanted to answer that kind of question. But at least you put it in front of them in a way that they could hear. Because if you're not putting it in front of them in a compassionate way in community, they can't hear it. They're just going to frame you as the villain. That's true. And never talk to you. And they're never going to think about it. They're just going to close themselves off and say, you were the bad guy. You just misunderstood. I did everything right. Sucks to be you. So I don't know if it's working or not working, but I do know that being able like so I, I would add, like I said, I want to add one thing to what, what you said, if your definition is X. For me, the definition has to be that it becomes fairly clear who the person doing harms at base was. So not where it ended up at the end, but the, the catalyst behavior set, you know, who was the primary aggressor. Right. So who wanted to stay in that situation and do these harms? Gotcha. If that is something that usually and again it's not gonna be perfect but i would you know if you can get that 70 to 80 percent of the time and if you can give them the information compassionately in community and if you can support the survivor very actively and very quickly so that they're surrounded by love and compassion and caring as a response instead of isolation because that's the other thing when you don't have this system people who are survivors feel isolated they start telling people people back away they go oh i don't want any of that that's drama yeah it's a lot of drama and nobody wants to take yeah. responsibility for creating that community for them because that's a lot of drama. And so if they don't already have that community in their own life, their own pod of people, they're out. And even when they have their own pod of people, a pod response is so different because the people who opt into that are opting in to doing chores for you, bringing you food, helping you with difficult things that are going on in your life, giving you a ride, being there to talk to you at all hours of the day. And that's very different than like your default community. You would actually have to do the work normally of getting that. You'd have to write a bunch of friends and say, I had this tragedy happen. Can you sign up for a meal truck? And this is why communities like longstanding communities like churches do stuff like this. Not like the alternative justice, but like the support process for like people who've had surgery or are sick. Right, right. Yeah. Or have an injury because it's different than the way that your regular family and friends can support you because it's asking too much if it goes on forever. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing is, is it's additional, right? So if I get a support pod from my community, the three to five people supporting me, I still have my partners, my family, my friends, 
to ask. It's just extra, mm-hmm. you know, and why am I even in a community if the community doesn't going to support me when I'm hurt? Yeah. Yeah. All the different ENM and poly groups, most of them are like, we're not a dating space. We're here to be a community. We're a community. Yeah. And then all they do is offer opportunities to like put up stuff where people can basically find <laughs> to you to date you and have no community <laughs> at all and are like allergic to community. They're allergic to helping. They're allergic to volunteering. They're allergic to participating. They're allergic to taking care of each other. They're allergic yeah. to caring about everybody in the group. They're allergic to taking accountability and responsibility for the harms that happen in the spaces that they create. They're allergic to everything that would be community. We're here for community. Please don't try and date people. No, like actually they're there as dating services, but they just have this really complex mating dance where you're like, you're like, I'm not here to date. Are you not here to date? You're not here to date too. Maybe we should go out as friends. We're going out as friends. Maybe we should fuck. And like, it's just, it's just a complex dating service. It's not a community. And that's why they don't want to deal with any of this stuff because they don't want this. They want to use all that time to find a new partner. They're not really a community is that's what I would say. Two, organizers need boundaries around doing mediation. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You need boundaries for everything. It's emotionally difficult. You need time boundaries. You need work boundaries. You need your own support pod, as I just mentioned. 100%. Yeah. Every one of these I've ever done, I've avoided horrible burnout for, but my life has suffered. My work has suffered. My partners and family have suffered. Obviously, my, the podcast has suffered a lot. Like, I mean, mm. now I, now we're just really random, but when we <laughs> work really random and it would be like a week late, that was always because I was doing a harms process. So like... <laughs> It's uh, it, yeah, you need boundaries. And again, you should have the group because it's a community set up with enough support to make this work. You should have not just one person, but three or four or five people signed on to do mediations. And those five people who are signed on to lead mediations should still get a support pod. And nobody should ever lead more than one mediation at a time. So if you have two harms processes, there should be totally different people on all the support pods, on all the harm pods, on all all the support pods supporting the person doing the mediation and the mediators. And everyone should just be on that list. Everyone in your community should just have to sign up for the like a rotation on pods, basically. You know, you're on the call list or we message you and go, hey, we need some people. Your name's up on the list next. Are you up for this or are you too busy right now? Right. And if they're too busy, we just throw them back on the list, and, you know, for we'll check with you next time. Cycle you know. them back through. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we had a system where we just ask the community, we just post, hey, but there needs to be a thing where, you know, we can message you and ask. So, you know, it's your turn and you're actually turning down your turn because, again, it's a community. I don't understand why you're joining a community if you don't want to do any community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you actually don't want to participate in the community. (laughs) (laughs) Or do the opposite. If you just want to do sex scenes and sex clubs, they've got that. Go do that. Right. But don't pretend you're doing a community about that. And maybe we need to have ENM sex clubs. It's a sex club, but it's just for people who are ethically non-monogamous instead of just swinger sex club. That would also be fine because it would be very clear what you're there for. But stop saying it's a community if you're not going to be a community. Right. Yeah. Also, pointing people to resources is amazing. That's something that we ended up doing near the end. We had some great people in the team that we brought on near the end who were really good with having a list of resources. And in addition to all the things we said we were going to do, every single notification was like, here are our resources for counseling for being abused. Here are resources for support for this. So here's all these clinical resources. And we did that also for the people doing harm. Here's clinical resources for if you may be an abuser. Clinical resources for counseling for if you're doing harms. Yeah. 
and mm-hmm. here are some free ones and here are some ones that you can pay for and just giving them as much empowerment as possible with as many resources as possible so they can find the route that works for them. It's all work they don't have to do. If you just survive this stuff and someone reaches out and gives you all these links so that you don't have to find them, that's just stuff you don't have to do while you're traumatized. Truth. And again, the thing is, once you compile this stuff into a community, if you've got that, that part becomes instantaneous work-wise, right? Because you're just like, oh, they need this, send. And also, what else can we do for you right now? There's no Mm -hmm. duplication of labor. When you're expecting their own friends and family to do it, those people have to go do the research to find a list. Why? You've got a community for this. So then three, I just really can't respond to what Brave Spaces are other than the context provided here. Brave Spaces, on the other hand, have more of an expectation that those present are comfortable in their boundaries and can own their own nose. So So my question is this, is when you don't have that, so you have this, quote, brave space, but you have someone that maybe can't live up to those, to that bar of what a brave space is, what do you do then? You just say, sorry, you can't be in this space? you just kick them out of the space? So to be clear, I'm not responding to brave spaces as a concept. I'm responding to this soundbite from the, the writer. I just, I really hate responding to like a, a buzzword <laughs> without understanding the buzzword well enough. Yeah. <laughs> and that's on, on me. I thought it would be fun to read this question all together before we weighed in on it. So maybe we'll research brave spaces and respond right. to them later. Yes. I uh, did not expect there to be a specific note. <laughs> Yeah. So I apologize for that. Uh, fill in the preparation. It just sounds super ableist. So that's the, that's my biggest problem yeah. with it. Is it sounds it sounds privileged too. Yeah. I just don't think it's a community space if it's always like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, like I said, having brave time. Oh, we're going to have a community meeting where we discuss difficult topics. This is a brave space meeting. Please only come if you're up to it. In the mix? Okay. Yeah. We are a brave space community all the time? Nah. Sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a community. Right. No. You know, at that point, I don't even know why you're saying brave space. Again, just call it whatever its goal is. If it's a hiking club and you're just not dealing with anyone's shit, call it a hiking club, not a community. Yeah. If it's a sex group or a dating group, just call it that. Don't say it's a community that's a brave space all the time. Again, as as I see this and maybe there's more context. But again, I love it for temporary things as part of the mix as less than 10% of the things that your group does so that there are spaces to have these difficult conversations in a way that's semi-autonomous where people who might be doing these harms could come and they can talk about like, well, what if someone does this and absorb it in a way that doesn't scare them because they're not on trial. That's really important to growth. I think that's great. It's important to learning. I think those kind of things should always have that. You know, whenever you're doing a deep ethics conversation, it's good to set that kind of space and that expectation and that boundary. So what happens is because people are scared to ask questions, they think, what if this happens? They are scared that you'll judge them and you need to remove that. You do this growth. That's great. I can't imagine labeling a community that way. I'm really curious to hear back from this listener in regard to this episode, just to see if we understood or if we just fucked this up. How much we messed this up. <laughs> right. And again, also people writing in, we've said this before, we'll say everybody that's ever written in has been like, man, that episode was informative. It was awesome. It answered so many questions. None of the ones I asked, but it was great. I'm really happy that you did it. Here's what I meant by those right. things. And then we sometimes just email them back. Sometimes we have a second episode. Yeah. That's like I said, that's why we always want to know yeah. if you might be willing to just meet us on air, because then you can just correct us when we're like, oh, that sounds terrible. That and you're like, great. oh, I forgot this one important detail that would have changed everything <laughs> in the email that you guys are hyper focusing on this one sentence. But we very much appreciate the email or the message. And we want to encourage our listeners to continue to to write us and, and yeah, that's really good. let us know your questions 
or if you don't like something we've done, and we would love to discuss that with you. We really like the ones where you tell us how we, you like what we've done, though. <laughs> we are still reading all the emails, and yeah. we are still responding, but just how the episodes are slow, some of our responses mm-hmm. are slow. So this person wrote like two months ago, and I'm just recording this, and I'm probably going to write them and say, <laughs> you know, hey, sorry it took me two months to respond to you. We did do an episode on this. Uh, it took two months because actually I thought we were going to immediately do an episode on this and then we didn't meet for two months so I kept being like well next week I'll be able to write and say we wrote an episode on this and then that just didn't happen eight times and now it's been two months so we're doing what we can when we can around a lot we're going to have some more stuff coming up you'll learn a little bit more about what's been going on with us but but this is we just have a lot and our lives are just very busy right now you know we're still doing the work and i think it's still important what we can to just doing uh, it get at back speed to that we can do it and, and having uh, to be okay with that awesome. production schedule i hope you are too i hope you still write us questions i hope we're still helpful thank you As always, let us know in the comments next time. If that's really off base and we'll do our best thank you all for joining yes. us and we'll yes, see you yes. next time Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.